what's happening everyone it's good to be able to speak to you today we're gonna carry on through our series this mini series we've been doing called uh, wisdom for life and we're going to carry on in the book of ecclesiastes that andrew kicked this off in last week and today the topic is on on time and eternity and so i want to begin by talking to you about time because all of us i've been thinking about time quite a bit these last sort of you know i guess couple of weeks and all of us have got a different relationship with time don't you think I'm from a family, the sort of the school of thought, you know, that if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, it's unacceptable. And, and our, our dad sort of drilled that into us as kids. He was, we was that family early for everything because my dad would make us leave like 30, 40 minutes earlier than we needed to because, you know, the, the time we get parked up. Um, and no matter what time of day it was or what day of the week it was, there was always going to be traffic. You know, Monday afternoon traffic, Thursday night traffic, Saturday morning traffic. It didn't matter when it was, there was going to be traffic, which also meant we had to leave a little bit earlier. And so that's just the way sort of we was raised, it's the way that I really am. And I've always been that way, very early and um, kind of got a bit of a, a routines man when it comes to time. And then I married Sylvia. Let's just say that Sylvia has a different approach to time and we've had some adjusting over the years. And then, five weeks ago, our baby girl Grace was born, and so that's just thrown my whole kind of approach to time out the window. I don't even know what day of the week it is after time, let alone what time of day it is. And so, you know, my relationship with time has changed. But I did think that, you know, obviously, usually we'd all be together at church, a lot of people get to see Grace, so I thought I've at least just got to show you a photo. So uh, here's baby Grace for you. I know she's very cute and a lot of you are probably thinking how did uh, something that beautiful you know be made by joe but you know god is good we are when it comes to time a lot of us uh, in our culture and our society i believe that we are kind of prisoners of time we're obsessed with it we're always thinking about trying to be more time efficient get things done quicker we take shortcuts we're, we're trying to squeeze as much time out of it as we can because we we know don't we that time is is one of our biggest commodities we use phrases that say that, you know, precious time. It was time well spent. And we also know that time is, is, is a great leveller. Because it doesn't matter how rich you are or how successful you are or anything like that. All of us, you, me, everyone, we have the same 24 hours in a day. No, you, you can't buy more time. It's impossibility. And so time is, you know, it's definitely something worth considering and thinking about because you know, so much of our society and culture is, is kind of shaped and obsessed by it. It's a profound thing. And the Bible actually has quite a lot to say on time. In this book, Ecclesiastes, that, that we're going to get to, we're going to read this passage, it, it comes under the bracket of something that the writer called, you know, vanity, vapour, there's something frustrating about it, something that's quite, you know, annoying. But we're going to see what, what does God teach about time in this passage? What are some of the lessons we can pick up? And so uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes 3, uh, and we're going to hear that uh, be read together now. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 to 15. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, 
A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. We're going to pray before we dive into the word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book, this Bible. We thank you that it is alive and relevant today, that it speaks into us in 2020 and all that's going on. And we pray that as we just spend a few minutes looking at these passages together, Lord, would you uh, help us to understand? Would you help us to engage? Would you help us to grow and know more about who you are and how we live for you in light of that? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see, the first thing that I want to say is that we need time. Verse 1 says that God has created things. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. For everything under heaven here on earth, there is a time for something. In heaven, things are different. It doesn't operate within time in the same way. But for us, it's, it's the way we were created. God has made us to observe rhythms and seasons and times you know, it goes right back to creation. It's kind of how God even created for six days work and for one there was rest and Sabbath. It's the way that we are, we are wired. We're supposed to observe those things, to sleep, to rest, to work, to relax, to, you know, to time to build, time to do these things. There's certain times of day that we should do things and even certain times of year. That's kind of the way that God has made it. But you probably agree with me that our culture, our society, especially in the West, has got a very unhealthy relationship with time. In fact, it, it kind of goes right, right back, even kind of before Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus. The, the, you know, the Egyptians, they made a sundial, and the Babylonians and the Romans all kind of had this sundial. They were obsessed with trying to control the times of the day and when things would be done. One of the biggest kind of, I guess, changes when it comes to time is in i think it's 1370 in germany they the first public clock was created maybe it explains why you know germans were often associated with being so efficient and on time and you know maybe that's why who knows but that was the first kind of public clock and now there's obviously public clocks everywhere you go in fact it's a bit strange that one of the biggest attractions in our city is a clock you know people will, will travel from all over just to get a photo of big ben and you think well what is it about clocks and timing and, and the chiming of clocks? We're, we're obsessed with time. Another huge change to time came in 1879 when Edison created the light bulb. Suddenly, you weren't confined to daylight hours to be efficient and do what you got to do. You could work at daytime, you could work at nighttime. The old sort of Latin phrase, carpte diem, seize the day, becomes carpte noctum, seize the night. And it completely just changes the way that humans would have, I guess, lived their lives. 
before you, you very much would have been governed by the rotation of the earth, the sun. You, 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 know, you woke up when the sun rose and you went to bed when the sun went down. You might have had some candles, but certainly not the light that we have. You know, you've had long summer days and short winter ones. Sometimes they say that you'd sleep for like 11, 12 hours, you know, in the winter, in the winter months. <laughs> for some of us, that seems pretty bliss, especially at the minute with a baby grace. I can't remember, 12 hours in a row would be nice, wouldn't it? But you get my point. The advancement of technology has, has kind of propelled things. It was all about trying to make us be able to do more things quicker so that we have more time, but it's done the opposite. You know, emails instead of letters, cars instead of walking, washing machines instead of hand washing. It was all, oh, we could do more. Some people say, maybe we'll have a free day week. We've just got more time to kind of, but it's the opposite. We often feel like we're busier than ever. The, the advancement of technology keeps moving faster and faster and faster. Sometimes our culture and our society feels like we're going faster and faster and faster on a hamster wheel. 2007 was another game changer. I don't know how old you were. I think I was year nine. Makes me sound young. I was in year nine. I remember the iPhone came out and everyone was buzzing. It was like, man, the first iPhone, suddenly portable internet on your phone and in a way that had never been before. And, you know, and, and obviously the advancement of that has just completely changed the game. Wi-Fi and instant access to everything all the time. We're kind of in a place where, like I said, we're busier than ever. And although obviously all that's gone on with the pandemic, that you know, there's been so much suffering and difficulty, in some ways there's been an element that people have really enjoyed in having just a slightly slower pace over the last few months. Time to think and reflect and do things, you know, go for walks and do things they wouldn't normally do. There's been kind of a bit of a freedom of it. It's like, man, we're, suddenly we're not just rushing about and here, there and everywhere because I think it reveals this kind of deep thing in us that the restraints of time are sensible and that we should have. Because our culture just pushes against the very fabric of how we created it. It wants us to do everything all the time. 24 hour gyms, 24 hour petrol garages, 24 hour McDonald's. Listen, if you've not been to Catford McDonald's at like two in the morning, are you even from sort of southeast London? But, but, but that's beside the point. You know, the whole thing is like, you don't need to sleep. You don't need to rest. You, you know, time isn't important. It doesn't matter what time of day you do things. That is the kind of the culture, the society we live in. And, and it goes against the grain. It, it tears against the fabric of kind of what, how God has ordained it. He says, no, I've, he's created times and seasons and days and, and moments to rest and recuperate. It's not how he has designed us, if you like. His rhythms of dawn and morning and, and, and afternoon and evening and night, these, these things are created in a way of what it means to be human, of what it means to be in his creation. And so when we kind of read these verses, this relationship that we have with time, we see that it's not, not healthy. I know that we need time because it's good, because it, it creates, it regulates the rhythms of life in a world under the sun where where in the end we know that death is always a reality, right? I think that's one of the reasons we're so obsessed with time. It's because we know that in the end, our time is gonna run out and so we wanna squeeze as much as we can as possible. We wanna live life to the full. You know, it's like you only live once. So we've got to squeeze it out, but, but often in doing that, and you often people don't actually get the most out of life. But it's all because we're, we come face to face with it. And these verses in, in, in kind of, Chapter 3, 
kind of, I guess, talks about, no, there's a time for everything. There's different times to do this and to do that. And it says, like, you know, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to, to pluck, to kill, to heal, weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to cast stones away, to, to gather stones. It's interesting, isn't it? A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Lots of us have been feeling that. How desperate have you been to give some people a hug, but you can't? You know, a time to cast away, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak. We think about injustice and all that's going on. There's a time to speak. You know, a time to love, to hate, for war and for peace. These 14 statements, they're different times and seasons and things that are going on. They've not got a time limit on them, but, but they always show that there's kind of, there's times for us to do things and time to not do things. And so as human beings, as people, as God's creation, we need time, we need order. It's not just chaos and a vacuum of just do whatever we want when we want. That's not the way that we are to thrive and sustain. But what's interesting in this passage is it definitely says that, that there's a time to be born and there is a time to die. That is the first, first thing it says. It's time to be born, a time to die, and, and we don't often like talking about death. It can be a, you know, it can be a bit of a, a funny thing to talk about. We don't like facing the reality of death sometimes, but it's for that reason that I think this passage is clearly showing that we need time, and not only do we need time because because the fact that death will come, because the reality of death is that we need also we need eternity, and that's the second thing that I want to draw out this passage. Because as we read on a little bit, it, talking about time, it says that God has made everything beautiful in his time, but he's put eternity into man's heart. You see, God has put something in us, a desire, a longing for, for something greater. In our hearts, we, we know that there is something more. You kind of see it here on earth. You know, we have whatever we have, but it's just not enough. The psalmist in Psalm 103 says, we're like grass, we'll be, we're here one day, bang, we're gone the next. And, and each of us has this longing, this desire to, to experience life in its fullness. That there, there must be more than what's simply going on. And, and so we travel to uh, different countries to, and we eat the finest food and try and drink the best drink. And we long for career and relationships and success and try and find all of these things, this sort of fulfillment that we long for and crave. And it's because... Friends, God has put eternity in our hearts. God has put this, this thing to the, to know that this is not enough. And I think it's why as a culture, we're actually obsessed with trying to prolong our life. I was watching, me and Steve have been watching this thing on Netflix. I forgot his name. It's got um, Zac Efron in it. And he basically goes around to like different places in the world and sort of says what is, uh, it's all about sustainability and different ways countries do things. It's really good. Um, we've, we've been like sort of proper into it. And one of the episodes, he goes to Sardinia, because in Sardinia, there's this place that they call a blue zone. And a blue zone is where there's loads of centurions who live. I think that's how you say it. People that live over 100, I'm trying to be too smart. And what they do with those people is they're like obsessed. That, oh, lots of people live here. So is it their food they're eating? Is it genetics? Is it the water? I mean, what is it? Because they're obsessed about trying to find out what's the trick for long life. We're obsessed with nutrition and diets and eat this and don't eat that and you'll live for longer and, and all of these kind of things that we're, all of it is about trying to prolong life because we, we don't want to face the reality of death because we know we're made for something more. C.S. Lewis, the, the author, who I'm sure you've probably heard of, 
talks about this kind of longing for something more than just what we face kind of on our time here on earth, our, our few short years, if you like. And he says this, he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And he, he goes on to say about those desires and the pleasures, that they're not the thing itself. They're only the scent of a flower we've not found, the echo of a tune we've not heard, news from a country we've never visited. It's like this, this longing for the heart. I love that quote. One of my favourite films is um, the film that, is, I say one of them, you know, Rocky films in, in, in the McNamara household are always going to be top of the pile. And, um, but after, I do like the film The Last Samurai. I've seen it probably half a dozen times. And in that film, it's about this America, uh, American general gets caught as a prisoner of war. He's out in kind of the, uh, a village in the mountains, uh, with, with, you know, in the village of samurai warriors. And the kind of the leader of that group the lead is a guy called Kasumoto, and, and when he's talking once with, I think his name is Olgren, General Olgren, he's chatting with him, and he says this line once in their conversation, he's kind of looking at a blossom, and he says, you know, if you spend your whole life looking for the perfect blossom, it's, it's not a life wasted. And, and I kind of hear that, and it's, that, it's exactly that sentiment. It reflects that innate thing in us that know that there is something more that we're searching for or longing for or want that we're we're ultimately destined for more we're looking for that perfect blossom if you like to not waste our lives and it all of that reflects this thing that ultimately we know that we're not destined for a life of just rising and falling and laughing and weeping and just life and death that, that there's more to it the great theologian Augustine says, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. It's like our heart, we're restless searching and finding, but once we kind of find our, our rest in God, we know that, as you know, we're made for eternity and we'll be in eternity with him. And it's not just in our hearts, it's not just in us. I think it's in creation too. That's what the Bible teaches. If you turn to Romans one, right? Let's kind of start Rome of, of, of Romans. Paul is is getting it, that exact thing. He's saying, listen, you know, in creation, you see, he says that for the invisible attributes, talking about God, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So they are without excuse. So you look around. You can feel it, you can smell it, you can sense it. It's in the mountaintops, in the seas, in, in zebras and, and, and lions and, and flowers and you and me and in creation in God's people. You can you, you see it, there's eternity, there's a creator. It all points to him. And he's set that eternity in our hearts. But one thing I wanted to say about eternity I think that some of us, when it comes to it, are a little bit misguided. I think that when we think about eternity, we kind of picture some big long timeline and right down the other end is kind of God and his eternal dwelling and it keeps going on and on and on and on, kind of on this horizontal timeline, if you like. But that is not what it's like at all. When you kind of think about it, you know, God himself is not on the same timeline as us. God himself is the creator of time. He sits above time. He is Lord over time. Before time began, he was. 
We have to remember that. He was there in the beginning. And so he doesn't operate within the same time scale as us. He, he sits above it. He created time and its order. In fact, if we turn back to our passage in Ecclesiastes, it kind of says this in verse 14. It, it says, you know, that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added from it or taken from it. It's kind of God has always been. All that he's done is will forever endure. That's who he is. That's who God is. And so we kind of have to, to grasp that. But, but it's also worth knowing is that we're not deists. Deists believe that kind of maybe God just created the world and just set it off in motion and just sort of kicked back and chilled and said, right, you not crack on. It's almost a bit like, you know, God's not like, I don't know, Love Island producer. I'm just going to chuck a load of people in the villa. Just see what happens. We all know it's not like that, but, but you know, that's not the kind of God that we serve. No, he is right in the midst, very involved in the lives of his people on a day-to-day -day basis. He's not passive and just kind of observing us from a distance and letting the world play out. He's very much in the midst of it. But sometimes you have to ask the question, how? How can this God, this other kind of cosmic being who created the universe, in the midst of global pandemics, in the midst of faces of in the, in the face of racism and injustice and things that go on in this world, how can this God who sits outside be in our circumstances? How can this God who exists outside of time be for us and involved? He all seems too distant. I'll tell you why. It's because the God of eternity stepped into time at just the right time. Let me read what Paul says in Galatians. Galatians 4, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under it, so we might receive adoption as sons. In Jesus, the Word becomes flesh. He comes and he dwells amongst us. Time and eternity collide. Jesus steps in, born of a woman, born under the law at the perfect time. He, he waits 30 years working as a carpenter, doing his thing. And when the time was right, he talks about in the scriptures of himself, when his hour had come, he goes to the cross. It says in Romans 6, in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, God died for the ungodly. His timing was perfect. It wasn't a minute too late or a minute too soon. The Romans didn't think, you know what, oh, we've caught him now, the Roman soldiers. He evaded us for a while. No, no, he knew the timing was perfect. He allowed himself to be taken. And he's in the tomb and he's in the garden. And for three days, there's tears and disaster and mourning and darkness and grieving and tears. And it felt like injustice on the face of his disciples. And at just the right time, the tomb burst open and he burst forth and he rose again. And friends, today, sometimes we can look at this and we think, will it ever be different? Will there ever be a time when there's justice on the earth? Will there ever be a time when things are not the way that they are now? Will there ever be a time when there's no pain and sorrow? Will there be a time when the injustice ends? When will the redemption of all these things happen? But we know that the Son, Christ, waits ready. And at the perfect time, the Father will make it known at just the right time. You see, this passage in, in Ephesians, this message, it's not about time management. 
It's not about getting the most out of your day. It's not a productivity message. It's about knowing that in the vanity of time, in the frustration of time, in the despair of time, in the difficulty of time, we can look to him, the one who is not under the sun, who is not under heaven, but who in his glory sits above, enthroned on high with the Father, and whose time is perfect, and whose time is right. And that the eternity that has been set in motion, he is the one who, that what he came and done for us, is that he put an end to death, he stamped on the head and said, death will reign no more. Let eternity and freedom reign. The one who is the first, who is the last, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your creation. We thank you that you've created us to, to need time. We thank you that you've created seasons and days and, 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 and years and cycles and that we can that when we live in that way, Lord, we know that that's how we thrive. I thank you for it. I thank you for eternity. Thank you that your son, Jesus, stepped into our time from eternity, that he stepped in, Lord, that we may know you, that we may know eternity that you've set in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that because of what Jesus has done, we thank you that there will be a day when he comes again. And Lord, I want to pray that you would help each one of us to live in light of that. Help us to be those who, use, who spend our time, who do things, Lord, who respect the time that you've created for us. Help us to be those who live in light of eternity and help us to always keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the one who is not under the sun, the one who is eternal. Help us to set our hearts on him. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.